How many are, just raise your hands when you hear sort of this, this kind of area that you might be in. Self-employed, raise your hands. Okay, cool. Um, working full-time. Oh, okay, working part-time. How many uh, feel that they're misemployed? Uh, underemployed and unemployed. It's okay. It's all right, because if you are, we, we need to pray. We need to pray for you guys, right? It's all good. There's notes in your bulletin. The name of the, t- the topic today is called The Church at Work. So this is kind of maybe a first, I don't know. You can tell me, but it's kind of a, uh, you've got a two-pager deal. One which is just blank that says the title, and however the Holy Spirit leads you to write or whatever you want, how do you want to respond, this is your piece of paper. Now, if you want extra credit, <laughs> this is the paper. So this is the paper that actually outlines by topic in terms of what believers in the marketplace, what that is all about, what Scripture says about our work and our professions, our occupations, that's the first piece, which actually kind of follows today with the sermon. I'm not going to go through all these scriptures. There's no possible way. But talk to me if you get through them, because it is extra credit. And then on the second side is basically making it practical. How does it all work? Just for you as a, as a reference. All right? Everybody good with those two pieces of paper? That's great. All right. Well, let me, let me start with prayer, and we will um, head on to our journey in the world of business. Oh. Lord, thank you so much for your uh, incredible word. It is inspired by you, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that we as believers would be those who are equipped for every good work here and out there. Just move through our lives in a convicting, challenging way, Holy Spirit. Reveal to us the truths that are found in your word, what this really means in your realm, in in your world, why we're here. I just pray, Lord, there would be meaning, there would be sensitivity to the moving of the Spirit. Help me to hear what you're saying, to pass it on to my brothers and sisters, that we would become more effective out there. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so years ago, a friend came up to me and said, I'm planning out my future, and it kind of looks like four columns, one, two, three, four, supporting my, my life. I said, tell me. He said, well, the first column has to do with finding a job that pays the bills. I get it, right? We get that. The second one is finding a ministry that helps the needy and unfortunate. I get that one too. The third one is help me find a way to meet my family's needs, which is probably related somewhat to the first one. Fourth column. Help me to find a church where I can actually use my gifts. Now, I thought that was was pretty cool that the person just kind of thought about that structure. Good visual, right? As we were talking, I said, hey, I think it's God's plan that those four columns are integrated into one. Because in God's kingdom, there is no separation. There's no segmentation. Think about this. We as people, mankind, 
love to create non-biblical dividing walls between God's spiritual and the secular. This started in the Old Testament and carried on to the medieval church. And quite honestly, it's probably infiltrated somehow into our evangelical roots. You know what I'm talking about. Don't do that. Don't do this. Oh, don't, just stay away from that. But do this. We, we have our own set of rules, and we somehow, some way, just tend to, d- to create these dividing walls that separate God's great spiritual peace and the bad stuff, the secular. Don't we do that? We do it all the time. At times, when you talk about work and business and professions, and all of us can relate to this, some churches treat that, and you compare it to God's spiritual peace, some churches actually treat it like the plague. Oh, don't talk about making money here. Don't talk about what you do for a living because this is the spiritual piece on Sundays because out there, it's the real world, right? You work in your natural habitat. It's game day. Well, I worshiped on Sunday. I don't know how people I've talked to, how do I make this work? Truly, how do I make this work? We often treat it like the reputation that that is between faith and science. It's that separation. Well, I will inform you that as believers, we have the spirit of Christ living in us and his influence is far-reaching for today and tomorrow. As believers, as New Covenant, New Testament believers in Christ, we are to think, we are to be, and we are to share the love of Christ in all realms of our lives. Every single one, singleness, marriage, families, church, government, and last but not least, work. How does God view work? How does, how does he, what does he, what's he think about work? Is it different than what we do in here? Some call this our vocation, the word vocation where we understand God's wholeness of life, that there's interaction of relationships and responsibilities. His presence inside of us has a holistic, positive impact, influence on the world around us. We are called to be common grace for the common good. Stephen Garber says from his book, Visions of Vocation, which means living my life before the face of God, knowing that I have a redeeming influence to all I meet. Right? 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whatever you do, and in context it's about eating and drinking, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3, 23 and 17, 17 and 23, says, whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Christ, to God the Father. In Romans 12, 1, we are to be living in holy sacrifices. 
which is our spiritual worship to God every day in all areas. So being a living and holy sacrifice happens in here and out there. We are to live by faith, not by sight. And I'm going to make a statement. You can disagree with me if you want. This is my own personal belief. But the true evidence of faith partially, partially happens here on Sundays, but fully happens out there. Just look it up. Figure it out on your calculators. 20, everybody gets a 24-hour day. That's 168 hours in the week. One or two percent is spent in here. The Bureau of Labor Statistics says we spend 60% of our waking time out there, in work, in our professions, in our occupations, in our jobs, in our careers. <laughs> Laura and I were talking about this the other night. It, it, this is her idea. I'm going to give her credit for this. She said, you know, we don't come to church and we clock in and then leave and we clock out right? We don't do that. There's no on and off switch for a Christian believer. There's no pause button on life's remote because come Monday, it's game day. It's where we, it's, it's our natural habitat. It's where we spend our most productive hours. Monday, Friday, Saturday, some, some of you may work five days, six days, seven days a week. But our work starts on Monday, and we are called by God to work, to carry on His creative work down here, to carry on His compassionate work down here, to carry on His healing work down here, to carry on His saving work down here. So whether you're a, a, you work in the post office, you drive a truck, you're sitting behind a computer working an Excel spreadsheet, whether you're, you know, you're fixing cars, you're, whatever it is, you are called to work and, and continue God's work where you are. I'm going to ask you two soul-searching questions. This is where you stay engaged. You need to write this down in your paper. First response, answer yes or no. Don't tell me the answers. Okay, here we go. First question. Do you believe that your spiritual life is wasted by working for a non-Christian employer? Oh. <laughs> okay. Second question. Do you believe that the spiritual service at this church is the only spiritual service that counts for God? Be honest, don't think about like how people perceive you or what, what I think I should put. Put your first response. And if you've answered yes to any of these questions, which is only two, I want you to listen. Because there is no biblical basis, especially as a new covenant, New Testament believer, that the work that you do day in and day out is any less spiritual than what is done in this church. You with me? Now that doesn't mean, that does not mean that church is less important. Got that, Jeremy? 
doesn't mean it's less important. I know you're probably watching right now. It doesn't mean it's less important. But your work has equal value. And it's just as much as serving God. Can you, can you imagine if we practice faith integration in our, in our workplaces? The power that it would have against the enemy, the power that it would show in terms of living for Christ and the witness for our church. And Jeremy has preached on this many times as to the role of our church. Our church is a living organism. We are a unified body of believers. It's not, it's not the building, folks. I know you've heard that. It's not. It's not the site. It's not the stage. It's not Carl's really cool drums. It's not. It's God's resurrection power working through us. We are Christ's body on this earth. And in all of us, in our sinfulness, we are forgiven. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross. I am forgiven. Thank you that you rose from the dead because I have life and victory. Forgiveness, life, and victory gives me a new identity to share with people out there. We are to live by grace, God's grace every day. Peter says that we are a royal priesthood declaring the excellencies of him to all people. Ephesians 2.10 says we are his masterpiece. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God created beforehand that we should walk in them. So our church acts as an equipping, sta- equipping station, right? That's one of the ah, second equip. I'm going to get points for this, Jeremy. See, <laughs> I'm using, using your words, equip. Now, if I were to, if I were to decide to, um, if I was to decide, not were, if I was to decide to go skiing up in the Sierras this winter, I just wouldn't go up with my skis and try to ski. I'm going to a ski shop, and they're going to equip me. They're going to tell me what straps. I'm sure there's a, a, a better name for straps. But <laughs> I'm going to have boots. I'm going to have certain types of skis for a beginner and sort of, I don't know, there's, there's different types of waxes that you put on the bottom, right? And I want to make sure that I get off the chairlift properly and I don't fall down and someone's videotaping that. And I want to, and I want to make sure that, that, that I, can, I can get off the chairlift, I can slow down, I can turn, I can get up when I fall, and I, I don't do that very easily. But we are an equipping station, and I want to find someone at a ski shop that knows what they're doing and has the experience to teach me to move forward carefully, safely, having some fun on the ski slopes. Is that not what we do as a church? To equip believers in here so we can go out there and do God's work? Absolutely. Go, says Jesus, to all places to make disciples. I'm going to add one word, and I think it's okay with God. Jesus says, go and equip disciples. Paul says, go and use your gifts in churches to equip believers for service, for witness, for showing Christ to an unbelieving world. Larry Peabody, who is a writing consultant up in the Pacific Northwest says, escape from this world is not God's plan. The world is not to be avoided. It is our assignment. 
I like that. In 2008, there was this crazy Verizon commercial. You might remember it. This lady walks out of this business building with her phone. She's just walking, talking on the phone, and you notice there's probably 100, 150, 200 people behind her who work for Verizon, supporting her on the phone. Managers, directors, sales reps, customer service people, programmers, you know, they're all behind her. Why? They're all trying to create a consistent, clear connection with the person that she's talking to. When you go out in the workplace, I want you to start thinking that I have the church behind me to, to establish clear, consistent, powerful communication with the people that I am speaking with every day. They're supporting me in prayer. They're some, supporting me with scripture. I've got the Holy Spirit with me who's, who's you know, right here in my heart, but they're all behind me supporting me. Now, it's unfortunate because there's, there's many of us, and it carries on to some churches, there's many of us who believe this consistent connection is all about the paycheck. It's all about the paycheck. There's actually some churches that believe that the only purpose for your work is to earn money to tithe. That's a lie. There's more purposes than just the paycheck. In fact, I firmly believe that besides marriage and family, that the workplace is the greatest training and development sphere or realm that we have as believers. We can't do that here in worship on a Sunday or even an hour Bible study. We can help equip, but out there, you're playing the game. It's real. So I want to share with you five brief pieces as to why there's, there's, there's more than a paycheck to work. Here's the first one. The first one is that we're called to make wise, godly choices. We are to grow in faith and character. We are, we are to make decisions regarding the flesh and spirit. We have to make decisions about career idolatry. Now what in the world is that? You know what it is. You put your job and your career and your profession on the mantle and you put all your resources into this job neglecting everything else around you, marriage, family, and that becomes your idol. You need to make a decision. We need to make a decision about where that stands in our lives. Is work important? Absolutely. Does it become our idol? No. We have to to learn how to make decisions when we make mistakes. How do we handle that? How do we handle when others make mistakes? And how do we view ourselves as either a God-pleaser or a man-pleaser? So the first one is we are called to make wise, godly choices. The second piece is we learn about commitment and integrity and ethics and morality, and service, and excellence, and we learn how to use our God-given talents, personalities, our strengths to build the kingdom here, out there. Thirdly, we have to rely on the Lord's strength 
and wisdom and provision and love as we do our daily tasks at work that bring light into some very dark work spaces and some work places. We also learn, this is number four, we learn about money that we earn and we realize that the money that we earn is God's. We are to be a good steward of what he has given us through our tasks and our daily work. And we are to use it for his glory and we are to share those resources freely. And then last, this is about Philippians 2. Take a look through Philippians 2 and you'll see this all over. God uses us in the workplaces to love and build up others. You have friends that are close to you that need help, who struggle, who have hardships, who have lost a loved one. And if you look a little closer, believers and unbelievers need a listening ear. Maybe you have a workmate that just confided in you that they're struggling personally or professionally. Maybe you have a boss that seems very impersonal, plays favorites, never recognizes you with the good work that you do. Maybe you have a friend who just lost a dear family member. Maybe you're with your peers and they're all gossiping about an employee or the boss. That's, that's a nice target. Who's standing up for him? Anybody? Who's standing up? We as a believer? Are we not to speak and build people up and edify them and not tear them down? Who's the one that's going to be standing up for the person that can't speak up for themselves? What about the customer that looks right at you and says, hey, hey Chuck, you're, you're the problem for, for, for all my bad issues and, and just horrible customer service. Hate it. Hate you. Hate the company. Whatever. I'm out of here. I'm not doing business with you anymore, even though I will, Chuck. Have you had customers like that? Clients, vendors, whoever? They're blaming you for all the bad things in life. There are power plays, there's political nightmares, and there's work, quite honestly, we do not like doing. But listen, toiling, laboring, working is God's plan for us. It started with him modeling the creation of this world in six days. And in Genesis 2.15, God says to man, it's yours. Take it over, cultivate it, produce, name the animals. It's yours. That's quite a big responsibility. Before and after man sinned, he was to work, to labor on this earth with a shovel, with a hammer, with a saw, with a computer, with a truck, with a car, with whatever it is. We are to labor and carry on the creative, loving, caring nature of God that God demonstrated while creating the world. And as God provides for us, we provide for others. Ecclesiastes 3.13 says that everyone, everyone, eat and drink and be satisfied with your labor, for it is the gift of God. Now, if you really, really thought that these were valid scriptures, about work in terms of what you do out there, would you not find more joy in your work? Seriously. It's more than a paycheck. 
It's to glorify the Lord of heaven in all of our tasks. And there's, not too, there's not any tasks that are too small for him or too large for him. God has called you especially to do what you do best in your work. There's over 70 occupations in the Bible, very diverse for men and women. And if you look at a, at a, at a glance at the word marketplace from the Greek, it means a public gathering place where people do business, buying and selling, a public gathering place. And some translations that you may have may call it actually streets. Jesus healed in the marketplaces. Jesus rebuked the religious authorities of that day in the marketplace. He said, quit doing all your religious rituals out here where people see you. Jesus preached some great messages in the marketplace. In fact, 17 of the parables, Jesus used everyday occupations to illustrate God's truth for unbelievers. The marketplace is a place where people hung out to make a living And today, the marketplace is your place at work, whether it's in a business, a profit, nonprofit, whether you're at home with the children, interacting with your neighbors, you are at work. And Christ and his church are at work with you. Are we all good? Do you want to look at Paul in terms of how he modeled this out? Yeah, thanks, Janine. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, so back to Acts 17, 16, 17, and 18. The time is, is A.D. 4952. This Paul is on the second, the tail end of his secondary mission, missionary journey, and he's between Berea and Corinth, and he's right in Athens, a very, very busy city. And let's not forget that Paul was a businessman. He was a businessman. What was his trade? made tents, worked with leather. You'll find that in Acts 18. He knew that in the marketplace, I could develop relationships between Jew and Gentile. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 and 9, Paul says, we paid for our bread with labor and hardship. We worked day and night. May we be our model to you. Every Jewish boy in the New Testament times had to learn a trade. Whether you were a shepherd, blacksmith, Jesus was a carpenter, Paul learned how to work with leather and make tents, Peter was a fisherman, and Paul grew up as a rabbi, and rabbis were expected to provide legal and religious duties without a fee. They had to find a secondary source of income. So the three pieces up there on the screen, you can write those down, 16, 17, and 18, it's about observing, reasoning, and proclaiming. And let's start with verse 16 about observing your workplace. We're going to see how Paul did it. In the marketplace at that time, people and professors, tradespeople were looking for answers to life. And Paul realized that the most deepest need Needs were expressed in the marketplace, and tent making was a vehicle that Paul used to develop relationships. But as he's in Athens, he is distressed and he's bothered, and he can't, it it is stressing him out to see all the idols in the strange temples in Athens. Ungodliness reigned. 
People were of the philosophical type waiting to hear and debate religious constructs. The Epicureans of that day believed that God left, exited, had no interaction in men. The Stoic philosophers believed that God was, was in the world's soul in all things, but to all of them, the chief end was pleasure. Yes. Do you know anybody at work that's all about pleasure? Well, quite honestly, believers get caught up in it too, as I, as I do. Just look at my playlist on my iPod. <laughs> Was that you? Yes, yes okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look at the marketplace as God sees it. How Christ and his church can change your office. How he can change a committee meeting in the conference room. How he can change... The, the lobby of your business, how he can change the sales floor and letting the Holy Spirit prompt you to do something for good. How does that work? I need to maybe teach a young worker about integrity and respect. Maybe I need to tell my boss, don't change the books because that's wrong. Maybe I need to come alongside someone who's really hurting, who's suffering, to listen. Maybe I, I look outside my business window and I see an elderly woman or man trying to make it to the car and I have to drop everything to go assist that person to their car. What about forgiving an employee when they make a mistake and the project just was not finished on time and everybody lost money? Forgiveness in the business world? Are you crazy? I brought up the word love at, a, at an agency that I was working at, and they all looked at me like, you, you, you can't say that word out here. Excuse me, why are we dancing around it? It's love, and look at the qualities of love about being patient and kind. Is that If everybody were to sort of practice 1 Corinthians 13 in the marketplace, would that not be transforming? So from your observation, if restlessness occurs, God is prompting you to act, to love with action. Pray for your employees. Pray for your boss. Pray for your students before the day. In opportunities to love and serve and share with someone, pray that prayer. You know why it's hard for us to, to go through this first piece called observe? Because we're focused on ourselves. We are self-centric people. We're so concerned about our daily tasks. Don't, 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 that's not in my job description. Sorry, that's not about me. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't get evaluated on that with my annual review. I, it's, I, I really don't want to do that. We get so focused on self, which flies right in the face of Philippians 2. In humility, value others above yourself. So observe, first piece, everybody get it? Observe the workplace. Let's go to verse 17, which is about reasoning. Think about your spiritual journey in terms of where God has taken you and the transforming pieces and the changes that have gone on in your own life. You have a testimony that shines, and each one is different. You have a testimony that shines that will bring glory to the Lord, which is Matthew 5:16. You will be his voice, as Paul was in the marketplace, to endorse your faith with gentleness and reverence. 
to be able to explain to someone what your life was before Christ and after Christ. Reasoning with unbelievers is a natural course of God's business. You're going to meet people that hate God. You're going to meet people that don't want anything to do with God. You're going to meet people that have had horrible church experiences and don't want to even go there. You're going to talk to people that have been abused in the church. There's all sorts of people out there. That's where God wants us to be. Either, I, either my ears aren't big enough <laughs> or something's going on here. So that's where God wants you to be. Paul knew the marketplace language as well as you do, and he knew the culture of the marketplace where he was at, and he found a way to reason with people, the ability to build relationships, to think and explain and to share and draw conclusions of what Christ means to him, you sharing what Christ means to you, Observe and reason. Third piece, verse 18, is about proclaiming, proclaim. If you look at Acts and hear Paul's message and what he's really focused on, and what he's really saying, he said it in the streets, he said it in the marketplace, he said it in front of authorities, he said it in front of kings, he said it to, to jailers, he, he spoke and proclaimed the message to a lot of people. It was this, who Christ is and the foundational claim of our faith, which is the resurrection. Yeah, it's, a, it's an Easter message, but it's what sets us apart and validates our faith. And we are to live in the resurrected Jesus with relevance. Yes, it was a historic event, and we believe it. We believe it wholeheartedly. But what does it mean to you when you're out there we know what it means in here, but what does it mean out there? Maybe it gives someone strength to carry on after a divorce. Maybe it's someone who's going through bankruptcy and needs some encouragement. Maybe it's about someone who's terminally ill and the resurrection gives them hope. Maybe it's gives, it gives someone hope who's losing their job. Jesus rose, and that means there's power. In Philippians 3.10, it says that, that we may know him and the power of the resurrection. Jeremy preached on this. I get three points. <laughs> the name, I've mentioned to you several times, three points. That, and the power of Christ, which you preached on last week, that we may know him and the power of the resurrection. Colossians 1.29 says that we labor working according to his power, which works mightily in us. So your natural habitat, your backyard, where you hang out most of the week, you know it. Joseph's backyard was Potiphar's kingdom. Daniel just was inserted into this nasty kingdom with this nasty king in Babylon and became a government official and became very respected to the king. Barnabas was a landowner, a business person who basically... Who, who basically helped Paul and John Mark in their marketplace ministries. David, probably a very, the most authentic Bible character that we know who just poured his heart out to the Lord, had to make all sorts of business decisions about war, about uh, business and, and, and finance and, and structuring kingdom that, that impacted thousands and thousands of people. Lydia 
was our first European convert, was self-employed selling fabric. Her backyard, her home, she opened it up for the church to meet. So how is it done in our church? Five more minutes, five points. You ready? (laughs) Here we go. How's it done with the Holy Spirit's help? One, as a workplace believer, a workplace minister, spend time in contemplative prayer. Pray in the beginning of the day. And I'm not saying that this has to be your formula, but it really helps to pray over the people that you're going to meet, the meetings that you're going to go in, the presentations that you have to do, whatever. Pray for the car that needs to be repaired. Whatever it is, pray for the day and pray for what I call holy leisure. What in the world is holy leisure? It's the ability to find balance in your life, the ability to be at peace through each work activity, the ability to rest, and time to enjoy the beauty and the ability to pace ourselves. Praying for holy leisure. And, pray, and praying for people in this congregation. Thank the Lord that there's people that feel called the full-time clergy and full-time missionary work out there who've dropped everything and have gone. But your work, it has equal value. I say to the students that are graduating, I say to the person that's transferring a job into a new job, I say that someone who feels called to be out there to be a witness for Christ, let us pray over you. Let us commission you to go out and be a light to the nations, to the workplaces where you'll be. Number two, befriend a non-believer. What? I gotta hang out with someone that doesn't believe the same way I do? Invite them over for dinner. Show how transparent you are in your faith. Show the love of Christ with the meal. It's transforming. Encourage other fellow Christians. Now this is where it gets a little dicey, I know. I've seen it over and over. Oh, they're a Methodist. Mm. Uh, Oh, they're Catholic. Oh, they're Lutheran or whatever. We put up these dividing walls. Do they not believe that Christ reigns in his deity and oversees their lives? Share with them. Share with them. Pray with them. Share scriptures with them. Encourage one another. Is that not the body of Christ out there coming together? Encourage fellow Christians. Disciple and train. Some of us, myself, are sort of heading into the sunset years and are going to be sort of redirecting my efforts in terms of what I'll be doing for a living. Many have retired. Many have so much to offer of what Christ did in your life when you were in business, when you were working out there in the natural habitat. Think of the work that could be done by discipling and training someone who's younger who really needs to know what it's like to have good Christian work ethic. I'm not saying perfect, but what does it mean to make a mistake? What does it mean to pick myself up and be transparent with other people? 
I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about how does it really work? Team me up with someone who's been there. I want to know. Disciple and train. And then lastly, I'll find it. We have our 2019 directory. It's in the drawer in the kitchen where it's tossed in with all the other stuff and it's hard to find, at least around our house. I'm sorry, honey. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm gonna hear from her after that. <laughs> oh no, that's the 2014 directory. No, I want you to look at this differently. This has everybody in this church, members, non-members. It's a cool section back here. We have supported missionaries, all right? They need to be supported in prayer, but guess what? Everyone in this book is a missionary. Everyone. Call somebody that you don't know. I'm, I'm not kidding. Call someone you don't know and say, hey, what do you do for a living? What do you enjoy most about your work? And can I pray for you in terms of decisions or things that you're going to have to to, to make this week at your work. Can I, can I pray for you over the phone? When we start doing that, we start tearing down the dividing walls that we've created between business and professions and occupations and church. There is no separation. There is no segmentation. We are to go out and be a redeeming influence. The church equips and encourages us to walk in the Spirit and into the marketplace glorifying God every day. The challenge is, ah, the challenge is, do your coworkers, does your boss, do your peers, do your vendors, do your customers see the mind and the heart and the hands and feet of Christ at work? They should. And I'm not saying that to make anybody feel guilty. I'm not doing it or whatever. The church is behind you. Remember that. Christ is at work. Church is at work. And as you open the doors to your business, your office, your truck door, your auto door, you turn on your computer, thank the Lord for having me here to be a light in this place today. It's not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. But let me be able to share my life in such a way that people ask questions about what I'm all about. As you wake up and you sit down with your children and you're there to train them and teach them and educate them and you start involving yourself with neighbors, thank the Lord for that work. I will say this one last piece. Work is important in the kingdom. And may God be honored in all that you do. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord. It's a different perspective maybe of something we typically don't even talk about. But we really need to be aware of what each one of us does for a living, how they can impact the world for you. You've told us to go out and make disciples. Let us be aware and be mindful of that 60% of our waking time helping, assisting, listening, encouraging, sharing the love of Christ 
and what that has done in our life. Help us to be humble. Help us to walk in integrity. Help us to share with gentleness. Help us to walk by faith. And the love that we share, may it be full of mercy and grace and forgiveness. All because you're working inside of each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.